Mozart was also doing experimental work at his time. You know, like there is a truth to how you explore and unearth and sort of excavate. When you think of Philip Glass and Allen Ginsberg, your next thought may not be opera. But today I'm talking with Nathan Troop, an associate professor of opera at Boston Conservatory at Berkeley. Troop is currently deep in directing rehearsals for Hydrogen Jukebox, an opera that debuts at the Conservatory Theater on February 7th, conducted by Conservatory alumnus Ryan Turner. The show came out of a famous collaboration in the 80s between two cultural icons, composer Philip Glass and poet Allen Ginsberg. As part of the Conservatory's center stage performance collection, Hydrogen Jukebox questions and expands our conception of what an opera is, as well as thematically explores cultural topics ranging from war to environmental awareness to the sexual revolution. Troop, whose background includes a range of both traditional and experimental opera forms, talks here about his vision for adapting Hydrogen Jukebox for today's audience, as well as the role of non-traditional storytelling. Nathan, welcome to Sounds of Berkeley. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. So to start off, I'd love to hear a little bit about your own journey to opera. Um, if there's particular experiences or just something that, you know, kind of helped your artistic path and kind of led you to being like opera is the place to go for you. Sure. So um, I guess starting at my formative college years, I studied music and was a singer and uh, it was in my, uh, when I was in college that I was able to take poetry classes with people who were English majors, which was sort of embarked on a journey of discovering other aspects that are important to singing opera song, which sort of directly lends itself to doing a piece by Allen Ginsberg. So I studied singing and sang for a little bit and then discovered, I don't know, a little over a decade ago that I liked this aspect of creating and um, developing material and working with people in a way that was different than simply being a, a singer in the process, which is important. And I was tapping into a feeling of wanting to see it from a different angle. So I was always very interested in the text of a piece in how something, whether text, music, combination of both can be evocative of a visual. So it made sense to me, although it was never something that I thought of when I started out studying the art form or the craft in terms of the uh, of music itself, but it sort of found me. That's cool. And I, I love how that connects too, like that sort of discovering poetry and then Hydrogen Jukebox really feels like it kind of brings that to the fore. I know that your career sort of had a, a good mix of traditional opera and experimental forms, and I wonder if you could maybe give some examples of some experimental pieces and why you're drawn to that. What is it about the experimental form or that makes it that way that is inviting to you? Yeah, well, and it, this in a way could be very much because of the type of performer that I was. I, I like the feeling of being able to create something in the room. You know, we're very much interpreters of a composer's work. A singer's interpreting um, what the composer has always already set out in terms of the text and what rhythm pitches should they should on which it should be sung. And as a director too. So where then that magical process happens in a room where 
um, there is so much in the score. There is so much of this idea of composer as first director. There's so much information there. But there's a lot of information that's not there. That's why the composer put it out there for people to interpret, right? So in experimental work or devised work or maybe less linear work, it's really gratifying to have that sort of ensemble energy and to go in and, and create. And not all opera is like that. And for what a multitude of reasons, um, it can be very much like by the book, you go here at this point, you go here at this point. And, you know, we get to that. It can be more nerve wracking to think, well, let's jump in and start and see what happens. Or here's the vision. Here's the dream that I had. Let's get there. It's it's for me as a director responding to what others in the room are giving. Even if I were to remount this particular production it would, it, with other people, it's never as gratifying just to say, oh, I loved how I did this and how they did it the last time. Let's do this. There's always that element of what is the energy here in this room? And it's a little, it's in, it's something that's hard to define, but that's the exciting part of the process for me and something that I try to bring to any style of work that I'm doing. I think it, it starts and can sometimes seem like the obvious thing for experimental work and maybe less obvious for A Marriage of Figaro, for example. But Mozart was also doing experimental work at his time, you know, like there, there is a truth to how you explore and, and unearth and sort of excavate. So with Hydrogen Jukebox in particular, what are those, some of those interpretive choices that you're making for this one? Sure. So for me, first and foremost, I listen to the music. I respond to the music. And Philip Glass certainly has a, I think, often identifiable palette. It's a it's niche, even with like in the opera world. This is a piece, while people may know Philip Glass, and even just talking with people uh, in the past couple of weeks and inviting them and people who really know their opera and saying, asking if they know this piece and they don't know this piece, but they know Philip Glass. And there's other Philip Glass that you might not have seen. So there's definitely a palette, uh, a sound palette that many people identify with. He's done so much film scoring as well. So that is always at the forefront for me in a very early stage. The text, which is all Allen Ginsberg poetry, not necessarily full or complete poems, but excerpts from bigger works and um, integrating different poems for a particular movement spans decades, literally the 50s through the 80s of Allen Ginsberg's experience as a beatnik poet and responding to politics and culture and life in America. But it's, it's not a narrative. It's not a straight-up story like, here's this character doing this. There's six people who are just called the soprano, the other soprano, the mezzo, the tenor, the baritone, and the bass. And you can find those narratives within the poetry and begin to build an arc, but you're really sort of given this like blank slate. And in this piece in particular, there's so many references that even if you were a scholar of politics in America, that like there's so much that to try to reenact all those things is misses the point of the poetry because the poetry in itself is an expression of that experience so it sounds like i mean it's it's a much more fragmentary movement in that way and maybe leans more on intuitive connections in a storyline that we're still able to pick that stuff up even if it's not totally in the most obvious manner you know the way that it traditionally is so i'm wondering what that actually looks like i wonder if you could talk a little bit about the staging and what we'll actually see you know when we sit down to watch us. Sure, sure. So the entire production is about a little over 70 minutes. 
It was six performers who were on stage the entire time. And to me, while one might take over the narrative or seem more forefront for a particular movement based on perhaps they're singing it or they're singing it and someone else is doing the action, they are this amorphous group of six to me that is a living, breathing vignette or statue, like these pictures. And they manipulate the sort of minimal set and uh, scenic elements that we have. And lighting is very evocative and used in a lot of ways to represent a lot of things. And to see their interplay, to me, opera is not just about throwing humans on a bunch of inanimate things, but how the humans, the scenic elements, the lighting elements, the costumes, how they all are interacting with each other. So some movements are more literal. We have a movement where Ginsburg and Glass run through an onslaught of a lot of facts during the Bush and Reagan years and the quote-unquote war on drugs and about reading it in the paper is a phrase that appears again and again. So we have this idea of journalists and moving it into beyond the 80s but into the 90s and uh, 2000s, even into the future, this 24-hour news cycle. There's this imagery of reporting the news, reading the news, giving up, trying to move forward, trying to rationalize it all. And then there's uh, other movements that are more, I would say, dreamlike, that are not so literal. I mean, they're doing everything, but to load six people into a bathtub is maybe not an everyday occurrence that one would see. But to juxtapose that with the idea of, in the specific moment, they're talking about water and drying up and what comes out of the land when that happens, which is also then evocative of what we know in our time, something like natural disasters, Hurricane Katrina, like people loading in and trying, the la- if they were the last six people on Earth. So it's then about finding that balance for me between moments that feel very abstract and then moments that feel very real and even the realness within that, the abstraction. You know, so we're telling our story, but it's also hopefully creates enough space for any audience member to see a truth in it that's either reflected in them or their experience without us saying, here's what we, here's what you should be seeing right now. Here's what we want you to see. You know, so whether you are very familiar with Ginsburg or the direct references he's making, you don't need to be to begin to understand. I mean, everyone starts somewhere, right? There's a quote that Ginsburg, that I read in a piece about Ginsburg talking about this production, and he mentions, he's talking contextually about the hydrogen bomb in particular, and he referred to uh, the speakers in the poem as people at the limit of their sensory input. And when I immediately, when I read that, I immediately thought of sensory, limit of sensory input, social media, internet, 24-hour news, you know, every, just kind of like the global onslaught of information uh, in general. And I know his context is slightly different because it's coming from this more militaristic point of view. Um, but it made me think of our current time and what technology plays uh, for a production like this now. And it also made me think of the students that are interacting with this. And I wondered what have you noticed in working with them in rehearsals? How are they engaging with this material? Are they finding it easy to connect to? Are they having to kind of 
dig their way into it and, you know, through different methods or something, find that connection? Or is it something that's like, I know what it feels like to be at the limits of my sensory input. I know that like there's always information being thrown at me and to manipulate that or, or, or can, can interpret that um, is something that they can relate to and maybe are bringing to the stage. Yeah. So again, going back to that, this is a piece that technically spans the decades of the 50s through the 80s because it's now 2019. And some of it in Ginsburg's voice is spoken him looking back on time. So I thought this really isn't just limited to the 50s to the 80s and not just through the present, but these young singers are speaking in a voice that is looking back. So in a way, it's also going in a couple decades forward as if they were looking back on their time. None of it is disconnected from their experience and we can easily say oh what is this in reference to and speaking of technology you probably have in your hand at all times something that you can use to look up exactly what that is but it's not I'm not as interested in doing historical reenactment even if we are steeping it in that specific time frame and element I mean things have changed so much just with the 24-hour news cycle from the 50s to now but then you think there's so much of it that we're still is so very much the same so it is both exploring like what those moments were and then seeing like what is happening today there's I hate to say that we I mean there's certainly been progress but there's also um repeat offenders so to speak you know one thing that keeps coming to mind is during this recent um government shutdown there's sometimes on these news channels there's like a ticker like counting this the minutes of it which is just this like sort of throbbing reminder like this clock ticking which in and of itself incites this sort of like constant reminder right and some of these pieces in terms of that quote of sensory overload there is a lot of like sensory overload, the sounds that are being made, the acoustical landscape and visually. And then all of a sudden it feels like it just like bottoms out and becomes very um, almost soothing and not just born out of silence, but through what is being uh, referenced or used musically and with the text or not. So um, there's a lot of up and down. There's a lot of like feeling that pulsating, that moving forward. And I think because of that moving forward, it's very easy to apply it to the experience that these performers are having because it is about them. I mean, they're telling the story, right? So it's important to show its relevance and not just, oh, this happened back in the 60s and now we're, we don't have to deal with it anymore, which we know isn't true. Right, and, and to me, that seems like it connects really well to what you were saying about this being a story told not in a chronological or, or typical linear fashion, that maybe you couldn't tell this story that way, you know, that it's not just like some artsy choice to like break things up and tell it in a more difficult way, which I think is sometimes like the first the sort of knee-jerk assumption of what a, a non-linear piece or story would be. In, in some ways that it, would, it wouldn't be true to what's being talked about here if it was in that. And I shared a quote with you from Philip Glass about this too, when he talks about um, adapting text to music, that he's only focused on an element of it. You know, he doesn't want to just go one for one when it turns, you know, like always illustrate perfectly what's being said. And that's kind of what you're talking about as you're directing. He says, 
that a portrait in music uh, need not be a complete portrait. If you have some indication, we as listeners will fill in the rest. Did you end up sharing some of that with your students? Yeah, we've talked about that process, and we've talked about both for the final result, but also in the moment of exploring. It can be tempting to say, for a performer to say, what do you want me to be feeling here? What do you want me to be doing here? Like, how should I be going about this? And as tempting as then it can be to say, well, this is what I want you to do, or here's what I feel like you should be feeling so that the audience feels it. That's such a backward way of doing what we're trying to accomplish, was, which is to create a space for an audience to get into what we're doing. Like, it's, it's their experience as well. Yeah, and then there's a fine line because we don't show up and do nothing and say, I hope you get something out of it. We do have to um, develop a, a motivation, even if it means the next piece, it's not as easy as saying what your character is. But it's almost like in, in each and every moment, like responding and reacting to those very human interactions. So we do talk about our ability to to allow for that space for the for the material to live and breathe so that the audience has a chance to have their own reaction not to say like here's what we want you to see which then extends itself to me saying my role as a director is to help all of us get there not just for me to tell you what I want you to do or what I need you to be in this moment but like live the questions like these are the things we need to excavate and figure out I could have in my mind what I think but what do you bring to it what does and we have double cast so even in the context of what we're doing I have two casts going on and so you know you're not seeing two different shows in some respect but you're seeing two different shows you're seeing two different sets of people having their experience with it and we we rehearse it together but it's that individual as individual and unique as each person's voice is so is a point of view yeah and that i mean that really the whole thing hangs together and it seems like the process itself is even indicative of what the final piece would be like for an audience member you know that that the performers are going through an intuitive process that's not you know strictly scripted for them in you know in, in an obvious way that through their own discovery you know, that that discovery process is what's going to give life to the production itself and what the audience will see and have through their own thing. So I love how that kind of cycles through. Uh, just on a practical level, you mentioned kind of your role as a director. I'm wondering, what does the director and conductor role look like for this? I mean, what is um, Ryan Turner uh, is conducting this? What? How are you both sort of working together uh, to, you know, to create this? Yeah, so our, I think our unique relationship and combination of what our skill sets are you know when we put it in the silos of director conductor we think like the acting and the music regardless of who you know since this is a school setting that there's not just the teachers sitting up high on a pedestal telling everyone this is how it's done but we are exploring as artists and working with these young artists and Hopefully they're seeing that process as well and then sharing it with us because ultimately they're going to get out of school and be full-fledged professional working um, performers. So there's always that back and forth. There's always that interplay. I think it's similar to when people talk about, I think about these the conversations with Hammerstein and uh, Rogers and Hammerstein and people saying, like, well, what kind of came first, the text or the music? And sometimes it's clear, and I'm not speaking specifically about this piece, because as I said, the poems existed, but sometimes there's just this, like, back and forth, and this idea, it dovetails 
sort of off of one another. And that's the type of collaboration that I like the most. So maybe to take us out, just what, is there a specific moment or scene or, you know, whether it's a line from the poem or just a way something is staged, but something you're particularly excited about seeing done or maybe something even in rehearsal that you've just been like, there's one of those discovery moments or there's where something clicks in. Yeah. Well, I would say right now how I'm feeling about it, I'm not trying to be elusive of like the things you're going to see. One thing that's just striking me and that we've talked about a bit is there's a lot of urgency in this. And there have been some moments that feel like very angry that sound angry when it's easy for an, uh, one of the singer actors to present that with, you know, just this sort of rage and how it's not just an attack on the generations before, but also to see like what we've done, like to the risk of sounding sort of romantic about it. Like, what are we giving our children? Like, what are our children inheriting from us? And then they're picking up the helm. So I'm excited about these moments where all of a sudden they're these kids who turn like very adult. I think that is sort of life art imitating one another because we are this group of young performers who are, you know, maturing right before our eyes and grow feel like growing up so fast. And I think that happens in this piece, these moments of uh, exploring um, the moment, the tech, the storytelling, and then um, its profound impact and then seeing sort of the baton top passed to them and how at the end, what is the next chapter? Like what are the next stories being told and specifically in American history as Ginsburg has laid out or expressed so evocatively in his text. So, and it's just exciting to see a group of pe- an ensemble of people develop a personality together uh well thank you so much for being on the show thank and you. uh can't wait to see the show yeah thanks me too <laughs> hydrogen jukebox runs from february 7th to the 10th at the boston conservatory theater for tickets and information head to bostonconservatory.berkeley.edu slash events this episode was recorded by zan Hanna in partnership with the burn and engineered by darcy davis I'm Brian Paris, and this is Sounds of Berkeley.